Welcome to the Jonah Carey Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, friends. Really appreciate it. Today's guest is Lindsay Jones. Lindsay is an excellent and accomplished NFL writer for USA Today. Uh, you can read her there and also follow her on Twitter at by Lindsay. That's Lindsay with an A. H. Jones. By Lindsay H. Jones. And uh, this was a great conversation, very far-reaching. We talked about the NFL being a quarterback's league. We got into issues like the NFL Union, uh, the Kaepernick uh, situation, and, and just social issues in general with the NFL, Toradol versus weed, all you name it. We, we ran the gamut. And also just some nuts and bolts analysis of the upcoming NFL season. Uh, Lindsay is terrific and offered some uh, great insight here. So if you are an NFL fan, you will definitely enjoy this. And lots of life insight, too. Uh, Lindsay has a young daughter, and we talked about the challenges and balances of <coughs> trying to make it work when you are a parent of one or more young children and also have a demanding and challenging that kind of job, especially with a lot of travel. So uh, should be, so hopefully something for everybody to relate to. And uh, I appreciate Lindsay taking the time. She's a friend and she lives here in Denver. So she actually came over to the house and we did it in the living room, which is uh, one of the, I can't remember, maybe once I've possibly had a guest come in and uh, pod with me at the house. So this was cool. Uh, a little bit of a different kind of thing. Uh, programming notes. We're only going to give one programming note today. Okay, today is Wednesday. Go to CBSSports.com. I wrote a story about the 28-year anniversary of a game, a baseball game, in which the Dodgers and the Expos played. It was scoreless for 21 innings. And Tommy Lasorda got Yuppie, the Expos mascot, ejected from the game. Read this. Trust me. Trust me. If you read anything that I write, maybe ever, just read this article. It's not that it's a magnificent piece of journalism or whatever. I'm taking no credit for that. It's that the subject matter is so preposterous, so silly, so wonderful that you will go nuts for it. Videos and GIFs and stuff are, oh my God, off the charts amazing. So yeah, check this out. Whatever stress you're going through today, I hope this melts it away because it's just, again, maybe the silliest thing I'll ever write, but um, I had so much fun with it. That's it. Uh, so yeah, check that out and check out this edition of the Jonah Carey Podcast. It is with my friend, the excellent writer, Lindsay Jones. Enjoy. Yeah, here how, we are. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm excellent. It's late August. Yes. That means it's time. It's almost real football. It's almost real football. Yeah. We get to this point where it's like we have so many months without football that people get so excited when preseason starts and then you realize about a week into the preseason that preseason football is terrible. And so then we kind of restart the countdown to re real football and we're, we're getting close now. It is terrible and yet people seem to buy into this. People buy tickets. Why don't it's part of the season ticket It's part plan? of the season. They're, they're forced to buy tickets. It's part of the season ticket But it's plan. not part of Sunday ticket, right? So if you no. want to watch them, I mean... You have to buy a separate thing to watch all the preseason games. How do... Which is ridiculous. Okay, so this brings us to the number one fundamental question, maybe. People like football. Great. Yeah. The level of buy-in that people have. Like, if you're watching 
you know, week 14, some awesome Pats Packers game or the Super Bowl. Oh, fine. But if you're watching a preseason game between the Jags and the Bucks, August 7th, and you're all in, and you've spent all this money, what is the magic? How is it that the NFL is able to have a spell on people? Which is crazy because it's the, the game is sometimes even bigger than the individual personalities. Because if you're watching it because you love Tom Brady or you love Antonio Brown or J.J. Watt, yeah. you're not getting that out of the preseason. Um, so, yeah, I mean, people... The game itself is fun to watch yeah. and the fantasy football element. I think there's a lot of that to it, but yeah, I mean, if you're sitting at home on a Thursday night watching the replay, <laughs> you know, the replay of a, the local broadcast of, yeah, of a, a Jags preseason game, then, uh, you know, maybe we should talk about some hobbies, but they, you know, that the NFL is this crazy machine, which is why it's so nuts where, you know, last year we heard all this stuff about ratings are being ratings are going down and, um, you know, people saying they're not going to watch games right now because players are protesting or whatever the case might be, because they are still rolling in money. Roger Goodell is finalizing an, a new contract right now where, you know, th- because because the NFL is making so much money. I mean, they're just printing it like it's it's insane how much money they're making and how we all just keep buying in. Um, that's how they probably, there's a lot they can do, I think, to make fans happier, make it a better viewing experience yeah. in stadiums. But yeah, we are, we are all in as a society and we're about <laughs> to just dive headfirst here in the next week or so. I, uh, I immediately am taking back what I'm saying. Let's call it a Jets-Bucks game, something like that, because previous podcast guest Tony Khan would probably not be happy. Yeah. About, and I have, thanks to Tony Khan, a closet full of Jag swag. My kids have little Jags, Blake Bortles bears and stuff like that. He's trying well, to adopt us as, as the Jags. Blake Bortles bears might not might not be no. the way to go, but <laughs> um, we don't know how much longer his future is going to be there in Jacksonville. But um, I just was I was just in Jacksonville. I covered them um, a couple weeks yeah. ago during my training camp tour, and uh, great defense. Yeah, a lot of things to like, which they didn't have just a couple years ago. No, they've been but they've been spending money, <laughs> right? Very much investing there, so. You know, yeah, we should we shouldn't make them the. Uh, the I mean, I guess as far jokes. as we I can, have, we can go all in on the Jets if you want. Yeah, well, it's funny because my NFL fandom is so weird. I definitely don't watch as much as I used to. When I watched, it was whatever was on TV in Canada, and this is in the '80s, and so it was always East stuff. So NFC East and AFC East. So at the time, you know, whatever the Cowboys were easy, they were on whatever. So I liked them well enough, but I probably liked the Jets even more. And this is like Freeman McNeil and Al Toon and Wesley Walker. And, like, that was a fun team. Yeah. You know, they'd go match up with, like, Marino's Dolphins. Those games were all 45 to 40. And I'm like, this is great. And the Jets were more or less my adopted team for a long time. And over the years, you come to realize what a disastrous pick that was. There was one moment of glory, though. In 1998, I don't think they'd won the division since Joe Namath, since the late 60s. But in 1998, they won. Vinny yeah. Testaverde was Vinny the quarterback. Testaverde. We went to Buffalo. It was like a sports road trip. So we went to Buffalo. We saw a Montreal Canadiens-Buffalo Sabres game, my friends and I and, and wife and all that. And we also saw the Jets clinch the division against the Bills with an 80-yard Vinny Testaverde to Diedrich Ward touchdown catch to clinch it. And it was the first time they'd won in like 30 years. And all these yahoos with like flutie flakes or whatever were like, bow yeah. down. The Jets just won. That was the one moment. There's pretty much been nothing else. Wow. Yeah. I remember I remember that team because they ended up coming to Denver in the AFC Championship game. Yeah. Um, Didn't go they, well. lo- they lost to the John Elway and the Broncos um, in that AFC Championship game. Um, and then I think my first, one of my first years covering the NFL, I may have even been like a visiting like, 
just kind of writing a visiting t- team yeah, side. Yeah, yeah. What year did you start? I was in a. Well, my first year covering the NFL for, for full time was 2008. Um, but when I was a high school reporter in Florida, I would go to NFL games and kind of write visiting sidebars. And I remember being in like a, you know, those scrums in the locker room. Mm-hmm. And I had, you know, my pen and, you know, it's just so tight and crazy in those little scrums. And I remember a guy kind of got bumped into Vinny Testaverde and I like wrote on his suit jacket. <laughs> and I remember having this like, oh crap, I just wrote on Vinny Testaverde. And like he didn't notice. And I was like, okay, well. He's colorblind. How could he tell the yeah. difference? I was like, it wasn't a Sharpie. There so you I'm go. Sure it's it totally fine. fine. But somewhere he got back in his suit jacket, had like, you know, a black streak on it. That was, that was my fault. <laughs> Sorry, Vinny. So but you knew you wanted to do journalism the whole time. Did football happen on purpose or was it by accident or it was, was it really, uh, It was really by accident. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I always kind of like, I loved football growing up. I grew up here in Colorado, yep. kind of during the heyday of the Broncos. I mean, mm-hmm. they, I was born in 81 they drafted John Elway in 83 so Mm -hmm. like I didn't really know life without kind of big football growing up here um they the Broncos went to the Super Bowl my junior and senior year of high school that was when they won their championship so um you know it was kind of a it was a fun time to grow up being a football fan um and when I went to college I was like well I I know I like writing I know I like sports did you major in journalism um I it was a double major uh, yeah it was like kind of a co-major I went to Emory University where if you wanted to do journalism it could not be your main major. You had to have another major and then you could either get a minor or a double. Um, and so I was a political science major. Um, I kind of intended to go to law school. I thought it was just kind of what I figured all Mm -hmm. through college. I was going to go to law school, but I loved working at the school paper when I went out to the kind of intro school paper meeting. I was like, I don't really want to cover student government meetings. That sounds really boring. (laughs) Like I like sports. I can write about sports. And so I kind of got in on the sports track in college, but we didn't have football. I mean, it's a D3 school, no right. football. Um, I covered men's soccer, women's basketball, became an editor. Um, all the internships I did in college, for the most part, were all in news. I um, covered cops. Oh, man, I did City that. government meetings, school boards, you know, Sunday fairs, all that kind of stuff you do as an intern. Um, loved it. My first job out of school, I was a school education reporter, covered K-12 education in Florida. It was a lot of, you know, no child left behind. Tuesday night school board meetings and the paper I was at the Palm Beach Post at this was back when newspapers were doing great and yeah. they at, were adding jobs and they added another high school sports reporter job and I uh, kind of wrote the wrote an email over to the sports editor and just said hey I'd love to talk to you and they kind of took a chance and said sure we'll talk to you and they hired me and that's kind of how I got into yeah. got into sports and you know living in South Florida it's huge football oh yeah area well so. in high school and all the way up and all oh, the way yeah. down. Yeah. You work with Sarah Larimer over there, right? Uh, she, yeah, she was at the Associated Press. Associated Press, okay. But kind of the same market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So you started in 2008. I guess the maybe the easiest jumping off point is just to ask you, what are the biggest differences in the NFL in the last decade that you've been covering? And I mean, maybe the one place to start off aside social issues we're going to get into yeah. tremendously because that's a huge one. But it feels like that's that decade is about the span at which the game went from I don't want to say ground and pound, but it was definitely, you know, you could totally draft a running back number one overall yeah. and all that, to you are laughed out of town. Like Zeke Elliott is the big exception, it feels like maybe for Nat, I don't know. But we're at this point now where it's obviously a passing game. Uh, maybe the easiest way to get to that is, okay, it's changed. Why did it take that long to get to this? This seems to be the best way to win football games. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I think a lot of it's an evolution. You look at what colleges are doing, yep. how college, the college game has... <laughs> very much over the last decade turned into 
completely a spread game. It's very, very rare now where you see a college team that actually runs a pro-style system that yep. has a drop-back passer, that they operate under center, a lot of these things. So now your entire talent pool is coming out of these type of offenses. Um, you know, kids are growing up playing seven-on-seven football all year round. They're mm. just getting so much more reps in the passing game. I mean, yep. these, these kids that are quarterbacks, wide receivers, cornerbacks, um, you know, they're throwing and catching all year round, especially if you look at some of the Southern states where they're playing um, spring football, seven on seven tournaments in the summer, fall, you know, fall leagues. It's, yeah, it's really crazy. So I think a lot of that has come this way. And then the best players in the league of kind of this generation have been these just fantastic passers. Mm -hmm. And the kind of, there's a new generation of coaches that have really played that way or yeah. have, kind of developed offenses that way. But yeah, I mean, you see it with Brady and Manning and Drew Brees who are, you know, really the best quarterbacks of this generation. They really kind of ushered in this whole new kind of new phase of the game. I mean, I guess if we look back, if we kind of want to look at that decade, you know, the 07 Patriots that rewrote everything. Yeah. I mean, they just completely changed. Um, was Moss on that team too? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was Randy was Moss, Wes Moss. Welker. Yeah. Um, you know, they even, the way they used their running backs with Kevin Falk, they just did a lot of really interesting things. It's yep. just so innovative. Um, you know, obviously Brady is kind of the, the key part of that, but I mean, it was the same stuff that we saw Peyton Manning doing with the Colts that he then brought to Denver late in his career. But yeah, where it was just so many different ways that you could exploit the you know, exploit defenses and it's exciting. It's a fun of brand of football to watch. So I think that's why it's really carried over. Um, it is cyclical though. I mean, a couple of years ago we were all writing stories about the death of the running back and not literally, but yeah, you know, the, well, maybe, literally. you know how, you know, you never want to draft one early and that you know, every team is doing these, you know, running back by two, three man committees. Yep. Um, and now, you know, we're kind of seeing, you know, a couple of years ago, we saw it with the Rams and Todd Gurley yep. drafting a guy high. And then obviously Ezekiel Elliott. And I know the Jags are hoping the same thing with Leonard Fournette. Um, but I don't think we're ever going to see the game revert back to strictly ground and pound. I mean, it's now it's, it's all about the passing game and the quarterbacks. And um, You mentioned the Pats, and that feels like the one constant over the past decade is they've been good the whole time. And... But they have evolved, right? I mean, yes, they've had Brady. Yeah. Yes, they've had a passing heavy offense. But there was a time when they were focused on a certain kind of defense. And then they go away from it or whatever. From an outsider, from a 30,000 feet view, you know, for, as an outsider, it feels like the Pats definitely have an idea of how they want to evolve their game. But they're also going with what they have. That yeah. There was a time that they were having these Vrabel, Ninkovich types because they didn't want to spend on linebackers. They're just like, yeah, we can get a guy and it would be fine. So they're not saying, yes, this is the style of play that they want. They're, for lack of a better term, trying to moneyball the whole thing. It's just saying, what's available to us? Let's just go with it. Yeah, I mean, earlier Pats teams, you know, from a decade ago, the, even like the 07 teams, they were not like a tight end heavy team. No. And then all of a sudden they go out and they draft Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez yeah. at, at the time. You know, obviously yeah. there's other stuff we can talk about with yes. them. But it completely changed everything with their offense. They completely recalculated everything that they do because they um, had those guys because they had those guys. Yeah. Um, and we see them doing that defensively. We see that doing them with different running backs that they have. And that's what has made them so great. And then obviously it helps that you have, you know, potentially the all time best quarterback of right. all time, but they are so adaptable. And that's one of the things that Bill Belichick has always done better than anybody else is recognizing his personnel and not being so stuck to one scheme that you have to do just that 
do just that one thing. It's you, you see who you have. You can do so many different things, highlight different players, um, and then be a step ahead of the rest of the league where, you know, everybody is trying to adjust to saying, okay, they, they've got Rob Gronkowski and we've got to figure out how to stop Rob Gronkowski and teams are drafting these like hybrid safety linebackers, yeah, yeah. knowing that they have to play Gronkowski twice a year, maybe in the AFC East. And meanwhile, Belichick and Josh McDaniels and Brady, they're working on this offenses that are going to highlight their running back yeah. all of a sudden, or their slot receivers with Julian Edelman. And that's what has been so hard for the rest of the league. I think to keep up with is, um, that the Patriots one personnel wise, they've got, they've got the roster, but yeah. then two, it's the, the things that Bill Belichick does that are, that's just so special and so much better than what most of the teams in the league are doing. If he's so good at adaptability and adaptability is so important, why don't more coaches get hired that way? It feels like we just recycle these Tom Coughlin types. It's like, Hey, we know what we're getting out of this dude. He's not innovative. He's not adaptable. Yeah. Well, and I think we've, we've seen some, you know, we're, we're seeing some new young coaches yep, yep, that, that's have, very true. that have that in them. Um, you know, it's just it's so hard to say we're going to go out and find the next Bill Belichick too. And it took a while for him to become that guy. Yeah, he was just a guy. So, yeah, I mean, he yeah. was a guy who got, you know, he went to the Jets and it didn't work and yeah. he got fired by the, uh, by the Browns and he kind of had to get his next shot. You also can say that they lucked into Tom Brady. Of course. Could he have been this successful as a coach without Tom Brady? Probably not. Would Brady have been as successful as a quarterback without Belichick as his coach? Probably not. Right. But he has job security unlike anybody else we've ever seen in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, so he has kind of the freedom to do a lot, a lot of things differently. Um, but we are seeing, I think kind of a new breed of coaches. Um, some of these young guys, I mean, Adam Gase down in Miami, yep. um, which I keep picking the dolphins to be, uh, to be another playoff team. I still think it's with a, color. I, yeah. I mean, I had to do it before this. Col- season, I don't think color. I mean, it I feels like color is more of a, bag. he's a meme. And that makes people think that he's the worst. I don't know that he's statistically, he's not the worst, right? No, he'll he's be fine. fine. I mean, yeah. I think is in terms of, um, what their offense is capable of. Yeah. I think, I think they will be just as good, good. receivers. Yeah. Good, yeah. They've Thomas. got really good talent. They've got a really good running back. Yeah. They have an improving offensive line. Um, pretty good defense. Um, but Adam Gase, I think is the type of football mind. He sees the game kind of like Belichick does where you yeah. really are into building a, building a scheme around the players you have using a lot of different weapons and just being really creative with your game plans week to week. Um, you know, I think, Play some coaches that are coming out of different coaching trees, but you see what Dan Quinn is building um, in San Francisco. I mean, uh, in Atlanta, excuse me, I was jumping ahead. And now Kyle Shanahan um, out in San Francisco, um, you know, who's really kind of trying to have this, you know, very creative type of um, offense. I mean, the Broncos were out there last week practicing against him and they're, you know, they're all pro defense player, defensive players were just really, really impressed with the things offensively that the Niners are trying to do. Hmm. Um, just the type of offense that Kyle is putting together. So I think we're kind of seeing some new, interesting young head coaches. Um, hopefully these guys can avoid the pitfalls that some other first-year head coaches have run into that, you know, Josh McDaniels, who's now back in New England, you know, he had a lot of power control type of issues when he became a head coach. So if some of these, these younger guys can delegate well, they can manage their rosters better. They can, um, manage their locker rooms well. Um, you know, I think we have, there's potential to see some really, some guys that maybe can challenge Belichick's kind of supremacy. Um, you're based here in Denver, but you're a national writer. For me, it's, I love it as a baseball writer because the rock, even the Rockies are good. 
It's Rockies. It's fine. If I want, uh, you know, the Derek Jeter equivalents coming to town, it's not that hard. Like, that's a, I'm competing with our friend Nick Groke for, you know, it's not a problem. And it's relaxed and it's laid back, whatever. It's all consuming on the football side. I mean, I guess every NFL city to some extent has that. But Denver's just insane for the insane for the Broncos. Yeah, like they just there's a new sports radio station in Denver that's called Orange and Blue Radio. Amazing. Where they do nothing but talk Broncos twenty four hours a day. And literally, there's a guy who lives right across the street over there. Smart guy, about my age. He's a money manager guy, and and he's aware of what I do. So we start talking about sports radio or whatever. And he says, it's funny, we brought up another friend, Nate Kreckman. He said, well, Nate Kreckman does really good radio because he's smart, but he also talks about the Rockies and the Avalanche or whatever. But that's not the rest of the city. He's no. pretty much the only guy who would do that. What is it like to, you know, you're still having to cover all 32, but this is your home base and it's just immersive. And Elway isn't a, a, an executive. He's a god. Right. How do you reconcile that with your very worldly and kind of unimpressed point of view where you're not, you're, you're not an yeah. person who gets intimidated. Well, and they kind of go back and forth where there's times where the Broncos have been like the biggest story in the NFL. I mean, go back to the 2015 season sure. where, you know, Manning. all of the quarterback stuff with Manning and Brock Osweiler and then the yeah. playoffs and Super Bowl and all that stuff. So it was actually very convenient that I was here because yes. the biggest story in the NFL was in my backyard. Um, I'm sure my bosses loved it because they weren't having to pay somebody <laughs> to stay in a hotel and flying yeah. everywhere. Um, but then there's a season like last year where the Broncos aren't a big story in the NFL. So yeah. I kind of have to remove myself. And I know that, you know, can sometimes be, it, it's just a different, it, it's just different dealing. Cause the Broncos will be like, why, why haven't you been around? Why aren't you writing about us like right now? What's going on? And just say, well, <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. They weren't even really bad either. They were just kind of whatever. They were just kind of average. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, Trevor Simeon is a really nice kid, yep. and I think he's he just won the job um, again this year, and I think he's going to be probably a better-than-average quarterback. I think he doesn't get enough credit for a lot of the stuff he can do, but he's not Peyton Manning. He's not driving <laughs> the right. interest and stuff that um, that that Manning did. That the, They're just not kind of on the same level right now. So um, I spend a lot less time there. And then the other thing is that I built a lot of my social media following here in Denver yep. and locally or amongst Broncos fans. So when I'm gone for a while or, you know, I was just down in Oakland covering the Raiders and I'm, you know, tweeting stuff and filing stories about Marshawn Lynch and Derek Carr. And, you know, I get all these messages about ah, the Raiders. Ah, why are you writing about that? Like, because I read <laughs> you know, my job. I'm like, you can go look at my bot, you know, look at my Twitter bio, you know, national NFL reporter. People are just used to me being in Denver and writing about the Broncos a lot because I'm local. So, yeah. You know, I kind of have to pull myself back and take a bigger picture view on the Broncos than I used to when I was here locally at the Denver Post. Um, you know, I'm not writing about guard, you know, left guard position battles. Um, you know, we kind of the stories we care about are a little bit different than Denver Post readers yeah. probably care about. So that's definitely the balance I have to try to try to work with. And I find the L.A. phenomenon so interesting yeah. because it's twice that he's the savior of the franchise. Right. And. Uh, I just I was, did a show the other day where we were talking about these kind of like Mario Lemieux, Magic Johnson, I guess, to some extent, where you are a big executive after being an absolute superstar at the top of your yeah. profession. For people who don't know, what is the relationship of the local community with Elway? It's just, I, I, it's hard to, I oh, just, yeah. it's hard for me to think of anything that compares to it. No, I mean, he, yeah, I mean, if he wanted to run for governor tomorrow, he would probably win 
Yeah. Like in a landslide, even though whatever his politics, politically, are. I mean, and I, and we know it's what not very, it's not a secret what his politics yes. are. He was at the inauguration yes. um, in January. Yes. So, um, but it, he's just that popular. Yeah. Um, and with, it spans generations. I mean, I was talking about my kind of my generation of, you know, growing up watching him as a kid and yeah. a teenager. Um, you know, my friends, I remember like going to my high school reunion, you know, now almost 10 years ago and I just started covering the Broncos and, you know, people were buying me shots at the bar because they didn't <laughs> believe that I knew John Elway. So, yeah. I mean, it was crazy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he is, he, he owns car dealerships here. He does like a lot TV of ads yeah. all the time for all sorts of different things. Mm-hmm. And he is as popular as any former athlete. I mean, he's just so entrenched here. I mean, last summer, his contract status was up in the air. I mean, he was going into the last year of his deal, and that never really happens. It was like, you know, started to being all this hand-wringing. Like, could he be, could he leave? Could he go somewhere else? Right. He's not. He's not leaving. It's going to get done. He's he's not going to go take control of another team. Right. You know, none of those things were going to happen. Um, you know, but it is interesting that now he is in such a position of power with the Broncos that now he's in a position where he can get criticized. Um, I don't think locally he gets. I was going to say. I mean, and I respect the local journalists here, but that's you're putting yourself on a limb if you really go after. Yeah, I mean, and I think there I think there are way, places that it's fair. Yeah. The criticism is fair. Right now, you can look at the quarterback situation that the Broncos have. Yeah. Um, you can pinpoint some of the, the misses that they've had in the draft. But I also think that if you want to kind of nitpick some of that stuff, like what he's done to build this roster. They just won a Denver, Super Bowl. I feel like he got a great period. Yeah. yeah, I mean, uh, you know, drafted Von Miller. I mean, granted, he was the number two pick in the draft. Yeah. But a lot of teams have missed Yep. number two picks in the draft sure. and they hit spectacularly on his first draft pick and had some really, really good free agent signings. Um, if they can't get this quarterback situation figured out, if Paxton Lynch ends up being a bust, if he never, you know, he already lost the job two years in a row. Yep. If he ultimately never plays for them or if Trevor Simeon flames out this year and Lynch still isn't good. I mean, that's going to be the big knock on him if he can't get a quarterback. But that's kind of a minor <laughs> quibble compared to yeah. the body of work that he's done in the city over the last almost 40 years. Which it feels like that might be the only place where it's a minor quibble. And this is the subject that I really want to sink my teeth into because, again, as an outsider, like starting with the Bears, yeah, you know, it feels like any person who just even has a cursory knowledge of the NFL is just like, why are you giving Mike Glennon all this money? Yeah. That's for number one. And then number two was the Trubisky draft day maneuvering. Trubisky looks really good. So far, maybe he's going to be good, but the, what they gave up, the, the mountains they moved to get this guy right after signing another guy, it was nuts. And then uh, Bill Barnwell wrote a great piece today, and it feels like there's several pieces about him today about Matthew Stafford. Yeah. Matthew Stafford is pretty good, but to pay him this year, I think it would be $28.4 million. If you were to franchise him three years in a row, it would be $100 million, and you'd have to give up one of the best defensive players on the Lions in order to do it because you couldn't franchise that guy. He would leave. Kirk Cousins just got about that much money. Would you talk yeah, about him? Yeah, because he's been playing year to year on these franchise tags. He's so he's escalating up. money. Yeah. So there's two questions. The first question would be: our team, our teams, overreacting to the need to get a quarterback to put in front of the franchise. Oh yeah, I mean it, it's it's everything. Yeah, um, teams will overpay. Yeah, or every single year in the draft. Guys are overdrafted. Yeah. It happens every single year. I mean, we saw it in the draft in 2016 when the Rams and the Eagles both pulled off these massive mm-hmm. trades, giving up lots of draft capital to go up and 
get guys that they might pan out. I mean, Jared Goff was not great last year. He looked decent in the preseason so far. Yeah, they but, got caught. They got some more weapons down. Well, you know, yeah. The investment that you make, you just teams will do crazy things because that's how desperate they are to get a quarterback. Yeah. And yes, they will overpay. I mean, it just, it happens, but the, the, the salary cap continues to rise. And, um, if you think you have that guy, you will always overpay for right. him. It just, the cost of paying that quarterback, whether it's an exorbitant amount, I mean, whatever Matthew Stafford's going to get here, if it is $28 million, yeah. or whatever it is, that cost is worth it compared to the cost of not having one because not having a quarterback costs coaches, GMs, their jobs. It's losing seasons. It's losing fans. It's season ticket turnover. It's franchise value. Yes. It's all these sorts of things. And that's why teams are so desperate to find them. And, but it's really costly if you miss, I mean, look what happened with the Texans. They gave Brock Osweiler, it was a $17 million a year. Um, amazing they were able to get rid of it in a very baseball-style yeah. deal. I mean, all of us NFL Raiders are sitting around going, what the heck just happened? And well, I'm Paul sure all you Podesta baseball works guys, in the Browns front yeah, office. But I'm sure all you baseball guys are like, oh, yeah, this happens all the time. Yeah, for sure. Dump yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So, um, or basketball even, too. I mean, I made, it was amazing that the Browns were able to – I mean, the Texans were able to get out of that deal and yeah. get the Browns to take on like that quickly. salary. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the quarterback salaries are going to keep rising and – it's going to be very skewed when you look at the the list of the top rated or top paid quarterbacks in the league right now. I mean, it's Kirk Cousins, it's Derek Carr. Joe Flacco has the biggest cap hit. Yeah, it's Joe Flacco. It's going to be Matt Stafford here. Which these are good quarterbacks. They're fine, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Derek Carr had such a breakout season sure, last year. Sure. He got himself into the MVP race, but but then who are the best quarterbacks? It's Tom Brady. It's Aaron Rodgers. Right, it's Drew Brees. It's Matt Ryan, who are now kind of been pushed down. Yeah. Because they got their contract several years ago, or you know Tom Brady, who's always taking like quote unquote team friendly deals right. or whatever. Um, I don't know how much of that is actually. I, I think Tom Brady will be okay. Actually, true. Yeah, <laughs> where nobody's nobody's crying over you know him taking less money, but it's just teams will overpay, and it's who's up next. You know who who's the next guy who's going to get paid, and um, it's going to be crazy next year. It's going to be a really interesting off season because the draft of quarterbacks is going to be better than we've seen in several years. Yeah. The guys that are probably, we assume will come out. There's no guarantee. Yeah. See the UCLA guys. Yeah. Right? Sam Darnold and, uh, Rosen right. are going to come out. Um, and Allen, the kid up in Wyoming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is going to be a really good core, probably better than the class we've seen over the last two years. Mm-hmm. Maybe not as good as the Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota. Yeah. Top of the draft. Um, but so this can be a really interesting draft class. And then free agent wise, it could be a really yeah. There's like six group. dudes. Yeah, I mean Kirk Cousins, who has got who's playing two years back to back years on the franchise tag now um, in Washington, is going to hit free agency, and somebody is going to overpay him. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, he's going to make crazy, crazy, crazy money. Next well, year. and the age curve, I guess, is different. So you can, it's okay, he's 32, but that's not as scary as if you were doing it with a first baseman in baseball quarterbacks can last i guess because you become the idea is that your brain can overcome yeah. your physical talent yeah i mean and, and yeah i mean i think her cousins is 28 yeah 27 28 that's relatively right in young that range. Yeah. yeah i mean he's got probably two more big contracts, big contracts yeah. ahead of him assuming that he can stay healthy and all those sorts of things but um yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be wild the money that's thrown around but then you look and you compare that to baseball money and nba money Oh, the players, the players are underpaid. Are like, they're not, their contracts they're not are not guaranteed. Yeah, they're not guaranteed contracts. It's so. horrible. Horrible. 
and with the health issues that they face. Yeah. Short careers. The biggest health issues of all the sports. Yeah, of all those things. So it's like, it is crazy money, but if we're looking at the entire landscape of American sports, it's... Uh, oh, no, I'm, I'm all the way pro-labor and all that stuff. I just wonder about it relative to the rest of the roster interests me. By the way, about the adaptability thing, maybe, I mean, maybe we're not even stating it strongly enough. Belichick is the most adaptable coach because the one asset that he has to have, he's had for, what is it, 17, 17 years now? Year. Yeah. yeah. So 2002? Right, you could do anything you want because you know that you have Brady. I wonder, including also, hanging on to the best backup quarterback and not trading. Yeah, him right, right. Yeah, that's it. Jamie Garoppolo is also going to hit free agency next year. So. Be, yeah, I mean, I guess the Pats are not going to retain him, presumably. I mean, unless they can pull off some sort of magic, I don't know. Yeah, unless he wants to get paid nothing compared to what he could get to be a starter. Absolutely, you're um, not going to franchise tag your backup quarterback, you know, to make twenty. You know what? Maybe the Patriots will do that. They're so wacky. <laughs> who knows? Uh, and I guess the next thing I want to ask you then is we talk about that. How many true starting quarterback, starting caliber quarterbacks exist Ooh. in the world? Uh, 15? I don't know. 20? Really? I, Not I, even I mean, 32? I think, no, I mean, I, yeah, I, maybe 30. I, yeah. I think that's what's really hard, I think, is that there's some teams, look, the Patriots have two. Yeah. I think Jimmy Garoppolo is... Starting caliber quarterback. Yeah. Um, if you go down the street here to Dove Valley at Broncos, they'll say they think they have yeah. two. I think you could argue that Paxton Lynch is not ready to be a starting quarterback. Right, but he could but, be on the path. But then there's, you look at the Cleveland Browns, and do you have any? The New York Jets. Terrell Pryor was their best quarterback. Yeah. No, he's, <laughs> he's a wide receiver who's now on another team. the Washington. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I remember talking to a GM a couple years ago, um, uh, Steve Keim in Arizona, yep. because... I was out there the year after they, they lost Carson Palmer and they went through two or three backup quarterbacks. Then Drew Stanton got hurt and um, Jake Plummer showed up for some yeah, reason. Right? <laughs> he was throwing a handball around. Steve Berline. It was weird. Um, you know, but then they, they went, they got blown out in a playoff game where I believe Ryan Lindley had to play. Oh, I mean, boy. it was just a bad situation. Yeah. We kind of talked about like, what did you learn? How do you develop now? The importance of developing, not just your starter, but having to develop a backup yeah. quarterback. And I remember him saying something like there are not 32 quality starting quarterbacks in the league, let alone 64 to get to backups. Yeah. So it's getting that depth is really, really hard. If you lose your starter, generally you're in a really bad, you're in a really yeah. bad spot. Um, yeah. I mean, this going around this, this summer, it was really jarring to me. I was at, I was in Jacksonville where Blake Bortles, he was the number three pick in the draft in 2014 very embattled. He was coming off of a really terrible week. He threw five interceptions yeah. in the first open practice. Um, he has not played well. The Allen Robinson time. clip, you saw that, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, where he yelled, cursed at him. Yeah, it was caught on camera. And it yeah. was, yeah. Um, so he's having a hard time. And then I went directly from there to Tampa, where Jameis. everybody loves Jameis. I yeah. mean, well, all in on Jameis. On the football the, side, the maybe. Franchise. I mean, but the, well, and Bucks fans are all in. On Jameis. Right, so they're, they're, they have blinders when it comes yeah, to Yeah, and I stuff. think the, the Venn diagram of Tampa Bay Bucks fans and Florida State fans, that, oh, yeah. that middle part, that oh, overlap yeah. is very large yeah. as well, so, you know, geographically. But it was just very kind of telling to go and see, like, two organizations and the way that they feel about mm -hmm. their quarterbacks, fan bases and organizationally, their young starting quarterbacks. For sure. Okay, so here comes the big philosophical question. Since the dawn of time, since football has existed, we know the quarterbacks are important. We have talent development unlike we ever had. We can quantify everything. We've got biometric readings. We could develop great wide receivers. We could develop great nose tackles or corners or whatever. All this stuff. Why? Why? 
at any given time, do we only have 18.2 great, even starting caliber quarterbacks, let alone great quarterbacks? Yeah. That is a really good question. Going back to even what we were talking about earlier, yeah. about how much more specialized these kids are getting. Yeah, they have much, reps. How much they're training. Lots of talented um, kids. I think there's a little bit that a lot – there's still some of the best athletes aren't getting pushed into playing quarterback. I think we're, we see that sometimes now. Yeah. But they want to play corner, uh, wide receiver or defensive end now. Yeah. Um, so I think that might be a little bit of it. You know, as like the NFL, you know, a person that I cover the NFL, I watch most of the NFL. Yep. And I know there's a lot of people in the NFL that like to blame the college game. I do think that's, I do think there's a lot to that. And that the, the best players in college football, they, you know, they go to the, want to go to these offenses that just score a lot of points. Yeah. The run in or what's the Texas Tech, you know? A run and shoot. Yeah, run and shoot. I'm like doing the same thing here. Um, I think that, I think there is a lot to that. Yeah. And that the that NFL and the college game are so far apart right now hmm. that maybe the NFL needs to learn more from college and adapt to more what colleges are doing. Yeah. Um, and colleges maybe need to do a better job of getting their quarterbacks ready to play. Yeah, in like the a NFL. guy like Vince Young was just not a big factor in the NFL. And he's yeah. so good in college. Yeah. Because I just I think the NFL demands so much more. You, you can't just be a good athlete. Right. You have to. It's so much about accuracy, and that's one of the hardest things to teach. It's about accuracy, timing. Yeah. It's about knowing a playbook and just being able to really make the, the fastest decisions. Yeah. Um, so I think there's just so many, so many things to it that are just so much harder to do at the NFL level. That you know maybe NFL teams need to be not dumbing things down, but making it easier to, for these young guys right. to get into play right away. Um, but it feels like that's already happening. I swear that in yeah. my youth, it's like in my day when I was a million years old, to, to, that you had guys carrying the clipboard for five years. Yeah. Jameis and Mariota were good really yeah. fast. And they're pretty, I think. I know they're are, great, but still. Those guys are a little unique. Like I was talking to some scouts this summer, um, you know, kind of looking at this, the, the quarterback class coming up because people all of a sudden are really excited. Yeah. This group, yeah, yeah, Donald yeah. and Rosen and. I was like, well, how do they compare? Like, what grades do you think they're going to get compared to, like, some of these other recent classes, whether it was Wentz and Goff or this year with the Trubisky and those group? Mm -hmm. And he was like, you know, these guys were saying they're a lot better than probably what we saw going into their senior year or going into their redshirt yeah. senior year. Um, but Mariota and Winston were kind of on another level. Huh. And at some point, we'll, you know, probably look at that Winston and Mariota group as kind of being – an outlier. Yeah. Like the, the top guys were that good. Yeah. Um, you know, Derek, you know, we can look at the 2014 class where the best guy who came out of that class is Derek Carr and he didn't go till the second round. Right. Which I think you could argue a lot of reasons about why he went in the second round. He should have been a first round pick. The Texans. And everybody overdrafts too. It's weird that that would happen. It was very weird. Yeah. I mean, and, and Teddy Bridgewater before his knee injury, he was also going to, he'd probably be the second best guy in yeah. that class. And maybe he's still And he's going to be a free agent this and year he too. he was the 32nd pick. Yeah. Um, and very unusual. So that was weird where people got kind of blinded by the just Johnny Menzel oh, yeah. stuff and the, maybe the Blake Bortles potential as yeah. opposed to looking at the things that actually mattered with Carr and Bridgewater. That was better. So I think the evaluation is a lot of it. Um, but, yeah, I, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me why there's not <laughs> better – why there aren't better quarterbacks. And, I, I mean, maybe, maybe it's just as simple as it's really, it's really hard position to be good at. Right. Um, and to do it at, to do the things that the NFL coaches demand of you is really, really, really difficult.
I also wonder just about the evaluation systems too, that, that the Wonderlick is still such a big part of, or maybe it's not, I don't know, but it feels like these tools, because you're trying to determine things like, you know, not only raw athleticism, but, but uh, understanding of the playbook and all this stuff and, and that the tools that they're using might not be right. I don't, where, where are There are probably are more that? misses at that position than anywhere else. Hmm. Um, it's just, there's so many things that are hard to evaluate. I mean, yeah. Dak Prescott last year, yeah. he was fourth round pick yeah, and kind of came out of nowhere to have this tremendous year. And, you know, one of the knocks on him and one of the football related reasons that he fell to the fourth round is that he was not a very accurate passer at Mississippi state. Right. He was, he was Tim Tebow in college. I mean, that was by far the closest comparison of, of a guy, of a prospect, was right. Tim Tebow athletically the type of offense he ran. He played for the same coach that Tim Tebow played for at Florida. Um, and Tim Tebow never became a more accurate passer. And then Prescott goes to Dallas, becomes the starter. Nobody was expecting that he was going to have to play this early. Yeah. And he was remarkably accurate. I mean, far more accurate than anybody could have predicted that he was going to be. Sure. Yes, he came into the perfect situation. It's for such a good O line. With that such line and with Zeke Elliott. Yeah. Um, he came into the perfect situation, but if you're not accurate as a passer, it's really hard to become more accurate. You can work on all the fundamentals and all that stuff all you want to, yeah. but it's just one of those really hard things to do. So it's it was amazing that he or whatever he did. But everybody likes to talk about like, well, what did the teams miss with Dak? And I did a story about this this yeah. spring going to the draft. You know, what did teams miss? Why was he fourth round pick? One, he had a DUI about a month before the draft. People forget about that. That was a big thing that actually made him fall. Yeah. But we don't need to be sitting here, like, patting the Cowboys on the back of, like, how, how genius they Well, they would have taken him in the first scouters. round if they were geniuses. Exactly. They tried to trade up for Paxton Lynch, and the Raiders had to jump ahead of the Cowboys in the, uh, I believe it was in the fourth round, to draft Connor Cook because they were pretty sure that the Cowboys were going to take Connor Cook yeah. if he had been there. Yeah. But he was off, the Raiders went up and got him. So let's not, you know, sit here and just give Jerry Jones the biggest pat on the back for finding this tremendous guy and right. waiting and everybody else missed on him because the Cowboys came pretty close to missing on him too. And it's just such a, it just shows you how difficult it is to evaluate these quarterbacks that you don't know what kind of leader he's going to be in the locker room. Even if you talk to everybody on their college campus, you still don't know how his teammates are going to react to him, how he's going to be on the huddle, um, you know, and then how he's going to be actually in your system right? and operating the things that you need him to do. Are we far enough along? I mean, you know, 30 years ago it was Doug Williams was a standard bearer and that was about it in terms of anybody of color being quarterback. Are we pretty much at racial neutrality when it comes to that? Or are there still biases about, well, this guy's intellect, blah, 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 and then stupid biases come into play? Yeah, I think I actually, um, University of Colorado just did a study. Um, I actually got a press release about it, I think, yeah. yesterday. Um, that's saying that we're not. We're not there. Really? The same language, kind of the coded language where, hmm. um, you know, the, the way that people talk about black quarterbacks is different than you talk about white quarterbacks. You know, yeah. you talk about athleticism and him as a runner and uh i think a lot of times there's some preconceived notions about what a guy what kind of a player he's going to be yeah. or the comparisons that are made um you know i think one of the more interesting recent examples of that is during the james winston draft james is such a prototypical yeah his combo numbers were like i think he was like as slow as peyton manning yeah um, yeah, I mean, big guy. Yeah, really big guy, not particularly fast. No. And he's got good feet. Yeah. Like he can move well in the pocket, but he is not Cam Newton. It's not Michael Vick. Yeah, and he's no. not, that's just not the type of not Steve Young. passer he is. No. But then you look at like Andrew Luck, who you want to try to compare him to like Tom Brady or whatever, but his combine numbers were the same as Cam Newton's athletically. 
like his, you know, his 40 time and his vertical jump and all those sorts of things. So I think there is a lot, still a lot of that language. Um, but when we see guys, I mean, look, Super Bowl two years ago, the MVP, Cam Newton, the yeah. stuff that he had, the crap that he had to deal with. Yeah. The, Horrible. Two years ago. Two years ago. Yeah. The, the language, the, the, the dancing celebrations and all that stuff. It's so cool. But I mean, that's. That's the media, right? Yeah. Like, are teams still I, stupid too? Or I don't think so. I think okay. I think teams are okay, well good. ahead of that because they're looking at because the media is horrible. Yes, <laughs> the media. We work at it, and it's horrible. Media and fans are horrible. Yeah. I mean the the stuff that's happening, and we're seeing that constantly now with everything that's happened with Colin Kaepernick and player protests. Oh yes. and that's evolving by the day. And yeah, we're seeing different. I mean, last night I think the there Browns were a dozen guys. I'm a Browns. Browns fan now. I think, and they, um, the, you know, kind of the the guys. Some of them came out and explained it after that they weren't necessarily like kneeling in protest. They were they were sort of taking it time to like pray for the country. But obviously they they knew what they knew what they yeah. were doing. Um, but there was a white guy in there, yeah. and he was a fringe guy. So he was Seth DeValve, I believe. He's a amazing second year tight end from um, Princeton. Yeah, um, he talked to reporters after and explained that the reason he's doing that is he's in an interracial marriage and. He said, my children, I don't think they have children yet, but he's like, but I will have children who will not look like me. Right. And I understand the world that they will be raised in and that my wife, um, what his wife's like, life is like compared to his of life. Of course. And, um, they had their, their white punter was standing on the outside with yeah. his... Long did it the other day too, right? With the Eagles? Yes. And, and there's no interracial, he's just doing it because he's doing yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, Chris Long has like long been the most like woke white guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, his brother Kyle is a little bit of that, too. It but, shouldn't but be Kyle that hard. But Kyle has long been kind of an outspoken guy. Charlottesville is his hometown. Yeah. So this was very personal to him. Um, but so, I, you know, it's a perfect place for Chris Long to be with Malcolm Jenkins. Because Malcolm Jenkins is, while Colin Kaepernick has been kind of the face of the social yeah. justice movement, Malcolm Jenkins has been the engine to it. Um, and they're not really related. They haven't planned their things together. Um, you know, Colin Kaepernick and Malcolm Jenkins haven't been like teaming up to do stuff. Right. Um, Jenkins has kind of organized stuff away. They did their all stuff. He held his fist up during the national anthem all last year. He's the one who organized the group of players to go to Capitol Hill hmm. um, last year, meet with lawmakers. He's gone on ride alongs with the Philadelphia police. Yeah. He's um, gone and supported high school programs in Philadelphia that have also chosen to do their own protests. Um, he is, he is the leader in this. I mean, there's a couple other guys who have been in that. Anquan Bolden, who just retired. Yeah. He was a big He retired. He said he's going to retire to do that because it'll give yeah. him more time. Yeah. And he's, I mean, he's a former NFL Walter Payton Man of the Year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's one of the most tremendous humanitarians we've seen in this generation yeah. of NFL players. But, um, but the Malcolm Jenkins, Chris Long potential for a pairing there in Philadelphia, yeah. I think, can do a lot of good. So I listened to the Sklar Brothers podcast, and they had Blake Griffin on. And they were asking him this kind of question from a basketball perspective. That in the NBA, no problem. The entire roster, white, black, whatever, can show up wearing Eric Garner, I can't breathe shirts. You could do this, you could do that. The NFL has lots of black athletes, have lots of opportunity. There's lots of all that stuff. Why is it that – is it because – they are more afraid to speak out because the owners have much more power in the NFL. Is that it? I think that's a lot of it. The fact that they don't have guaranteed contracts yeah. is a lot of it. I think um, NFL players are, they feel more expendable. And I think ownership views more players as being expendable. Well, that's awful. Which it's, it's terrible. The worst. It's off. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's terrible. Um, but that's what not having gar you know, guaranteed contracts are going to yes. do. And um, I, t I talked to Malcolm Jenkins about this very thing last year. 
Jenkins is a no, he's not in danger of being cut. Right. Um, last year, Colin Kaepernick was not being cut, but we've seen what has happened. And also and the, the Seth DeVoe, whatever guy, I don't know what happened to him. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't, you know, I know what's going to happen. He might not have been making the roster anyways. Yeah, maybe. But he, good for him then. Of course. And it's one of those things where it's like, the more guys that do it. Yes. You know, it's that whole, that whole idea of like, what are they going to do? Punish all of us? Yes. Well, that's, I think, kind of what the Browns did. Look, it's a dozen of us. What are they going to do? They're going right. to cut the punter? What, you know, what are... But there are certain guys like Brady, for various reasons, yeah. are never going to do that. So, yeah, I think there's a combination that um, <clears throat> there's, it's kind of this smaller group of guys that are comfortable doing it. It's guys that are veterans. Yep. They're vested. They They have, might also be more aware of the issues. They're, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have to know what you're talking about. Yeah. You have to be able to answer questions about it. Um, like what, what Michael Bennett is doing in Seattle is the perfect example. Yeah. He's so in tune with this. He's spending, he spent his offseason um, entrenched in these issues. Hmm. He's, um, he's hosted camps. He's gone to fund, hosted fundraisers for the families of, of victims. Right. Um, and now I'm, it's, it's killing me because of the woman's name is escaping my mind, but a woman who was killed by police in Oakland, right? he hosted fundraiser for her family and it was right before training camp. I mean, he is, he lives this life every day. Mm -hmm. This is not something that he just does on Sunday to try to say, look at me. Yeah. He says, I'm using my platform to talk about these issues. And that's been the big disconnect. I think is that people only look at the action during the national anthem and say, Oh, this is so disrespectful to the flag and not, actually take the time to listen to the issue and why the protest is happening and what the bigger issue is at play. And I think that just reinforces the need of why these guys need to speak up and need to do something. Yes. Um, but you know, but to get back to your point about why the NFL is different than the NBA yeah. is I think um, one is the lack of guarantee contracts. Yeah. And then two, the, I think some of the biggest stars also are so image conscious right. and the sponsors and their, but so is James like, Harden, but he gets to flourish with his particular kind yeah. of image or, or just, LeBron or whoever. And I don't, I, I just, I don't know if the difference then is that just the NBA really allow, they allow it. Yeah. They, allow they it encourage they it. Encourage it. Their head coaches. And we as fans like way. it, we get excited. Okay. D and Westbrook have a feud. And also this guy's doing this cool thing for the community. Like it's all good. Well, it's one of the, the best things that I think the NBA has done over the last decade. Yeah. Or so, and, if the NBA is going to catch the NFL in popularity, I think they will. This is why it's because they embrace their stars and their stars' individuality, um, and they social media wise and television wise, where the NFL is so banking on their product, yeah, and less on the personalities, unless those personalities are you know Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, and those guys, they're just not gonna. It's not gonna happen. And I, I, I spent some time last week talking to a player, just trying to figure out. This was before Chris Long, yep, did his thing. Who's going to be the first white player to do something? And then who's going to be the first kind of like prominent quarterback? Yeah. White um, quarterback. White, Yeah, white quarterback to yeah to do something. Or honestly, even a black quarterback. If Cam Newton. That's true. You know, I mean, it, just a guy who is already kind of the face of his franchise. And Cam Newton has taken so much garbage. Anybody yeah. would be justified in doing it, but it feels like he'd be a little bit of like an F you yeah. right back. Like... Listen, I'm speaking out because you've been on me about stupid and I, nonsense. I have a really hard time. I, I don't picture him doing. I mean, and part of it, he's probably gun shy because of all the crap he's already been through. Yeah. But I remember during the Super Bowl week, um, he got asked a lot of questions about race, and yeah. he didn't want to have. He didn't want anything to do with it. You know, I don't. 
didn't feel like he had any sort of responsibility about being a black quarterback. Right. Just, I'm, I'm a quarterback. I, the, the race questions don't affect me. Or the, right. Well, and it's stuff. unfair that he should have a bigger responsibility than Tom Brady, too. I mean, yeah. that's, that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, if the fundamental question, if the fundamental problem is a lack of, uh, guarantees a lack of security in the NFL, the other sports have various degrees of strength in their unions, but the NFL union is awful and has always been awful and the union would be the one to put up with the to make this happen so yes you've got these people like jerry jones and richardson and these people who seem unimpeachable and they own the community and all this stuff is it impossible will they ever get to guarantee contracts will they ever get to the point that players actually have power in the nfl and if so what would it take to make it happen well so we're we're rapidly approaching contract negotiations for cba CBA. i mean it it still feels kind of far away this one expires at the end of 2020 yeah which Still seems kind of far, yeah, but it's really work, not yeah. that far away. Yeah. Um, and things are as bad as they've ever been, relations-wise, between the league and the NFL. Which is great. What more do the league want? They have all the concessions in the world. They could throw everybody in the trash tomorrow. Um, what, what more? What could they possibly yeah, extract well, from the players? Well, they keep fighting with each other. They keep going. I don't know why the players are fighting. I don't know why the owners yeah. are fighting. Well, they fight over a lot of different things. And the owners, I think, still keep wanting... Players to get in line and yeah, because they're greedy assholes. Yeah, terrible yep. people. They're terrible people. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you look at the Ezekiel Elliott fight that's about to happen. Yeah, it's just getting really nasty where they're exchanging these statements at each other and yep. the things that they're fighting over. And um, I just, it's they need to have some sort of guaranteed contract. But I'm wondering what the next thing is that they'd give up to get that. They gave up a lot of stuff. Um, in the last CBA negotiations, because they wanted, they had a lot of player safety yeah. things that they wanted. Absolutely relevant. They gave up a lot of stuff in terms of commissioner power yeah. to get some of those things. And I don't think the things that they got in return, I don't think it's equal. No. You know, and I, I don't think there's anybody who thinks that Also, the owners, deal. if they had any kind of hearts or, or, frankly, brains, would just do the safety thing on their own, but they want to use it as a cudgel to keep right. them under their boot. So I, it's really hard for me to see given the current structure yeah how hard the league bargains on their side um and kind of the position that the union is going to be coming from yeah um to get those sorts of things i just think it's just so uneven at this point because um the league could just lock them out again yeah and players aren't gonna once you start losing the the revenue yeah but the teams will lose the revenue too yeah but it's not going to be nearly as much as what the players individually are going to learn when or if you have a three-year you have a three-year window to play yeah and you've lost a year of that now yeah so it's really hard for me to see how that's going to happen i think they need a lot stronger leadership yes I think they need um a lot more public pressure i think yeah. to get the things that they want i think i see on social media and the response that i get a lot of stuff is a lot of the general public is really on the team side. Yeah, because they, really are they fans are of the not team. aware at all of what's going on. Yeah, I mean, how many times do you get the, you know, we'll use the Kirk Cousins example right now, who um, they the Redskins offered him. Um, a, the, the contract was fine. They, yeah, yeah. They come out and they put out this statement that has has record amount of guaranteed money in it for a quarterback. And he turns this, he turns it down. And all of a sudden, you're so greedy. And why are you not doing this for the team? And blah, blah, blah. Well, the statement one was really misleading because it included guaranteed money that he was already getting paid. Yes. It wasn't, we gave you all this new money. No, it included like the 50 some million from last year and this year that you were already getting regardless. So um, 
you know, I think that the general public is still very much on the team side. They're loyal to their team yep. and not so much to the actual player. It's and like that in every sport. It's just more tenuous in the NFL yeah, because of the security. The, you know, well, this guy's already making millions of dollars and why should he... Yes, but it's a. It's, but the teams are making billions. They just of don't publish their their salaries or whatever in the same yeah. way. Uh, I mean, you know, one going back to just baseball is something that I have some expertise in. Baseball had Don Fear. Baseball had Marvin Miller. Baseball had Kurt Flood. Baseball had players, lawyers, reps who were there. I mean, could it? Is there an, maybe Tanquan Bolden? Maybe there's somebody like that who's willing to just... Richard Sherman, I don't, you know. Yeah, like put in the long fight and just say, we're changing everything because it seems like we're talking about all this stuff and it really just goes back to bargaining. I mean, it's the whole economy. I mean, it's, we could talk about manufacturing cars and what it was like unions in the 70s versus now. It feels like if you have no leverage, yeah. you're just going to get screwed because there are no benevolent owners in any business anywhere, let alone a place where people are as disposable as in football. Yeah, and I'm trying to think too, like who's, you know, the... NBA player leadership. Yeah, it's a Chris Paul and stuff. Yeah, it's I mean, a superstar. It's LeBron. Yeah, it's not. We don't. We don't see that at the same level. Eric Winston, I think, is a. He's a great. Dude, yeah, yeah. You know, but in terms of like a player president having that sort of leverage and star power. Oh and, yeah. Um, you know, Richard Sherman is kind of a lightning rod guy for yeah. various reasons. A lot of the public either really likes him or really hates him. Yes. So I'm not sure who that guy would. You know. Would be so the last lawsuit back in the the two, 2010 negotiations. Yeah. The players whose names were on it, it was Brady, it was Manning, but they were not out in front. They were not out at the you know standing at no. the picket line talking about the things that they wanted and they needed. No. So if they were to do this, it really needs to be guys that are willing to kind of put themselves out there in terms of and the take teams. a risk almost. Yeah, I mean the one guy that I could see potentially doing something like that would be Richard Sherman. And he's already been the most vocal about the inequities. And he's been a very vocal uh, opponent of Roger Goodell and right. a lot of things that he do he's done. Um, he's a guy who has the stature, the voice, the job security that maybe he could do something like yep. that. So hmm. we'll, we'll see, but it's going to be a very interesting few years. It makes me agitated in any sure. sport, by the yeah. way, not just football. Um, we did touch on CT a little bit. We got to do it some more. Uh, Maybe the way into this to ask is just the Toby Borland thing I found so fast, and, and John Rochelle uh, as well. There are guys that have other options in football and are opting out yeah. because they're saying, well, I'm going to scramble my brain. This is no good. Is football going to be like boxing where it's just literally socioeconomic and if you don't have the means to do something or the whatever, the wherewithal, whatever, to do something else, that those are the only people that are going to play in the NFL. I think it's a, it's a very interesting yeah. socioeconomic question. Um, and I think – Kind of the maybe the best way that I can look at it right now is my peers, my and not peers in journalism, like my the people that I grew up with, yeah. my friends. Um, I'm a mother now. My I have a one year old. Um, you know, my friends are all having kids, and how many of us are going to let our kids play football? Zero. The answer is there, zero. I have one one girlfriend right now whose son is playing football. Um, he's seven. He's playing flag football. Okay. Um, her husband is all into it. Like he wants, he mm. played, you know, he grew up in Nebraska. He played football for uh -huh. years. It's a difficult. So, but he's, he's it. That's it. the rest of us, like no interest. I remember when we found out we were having a girl last year, one of the first things I was like, well, that's putting off the. Holy football, cow. Football that's issue. major. Because I, I, 
I wouldn't want to do it. I wouldn't want my kids. Not to under any circumstances. Not if it made a hundred million dollars. I mean, my husband and I talk about all the time where we were just at a block party this, the other day where our neighbors were saying, well, what do you, you know, what did you play sports? What would you like that your, your daughter to do? And he kind of said just anything where she's not going to have head injuries. And I was like, well, like soccer, soccer, has, a soccer lot of has a lot of head injuries yeah. and, but it's, but it's kind of a different, it's the, yeah, it, what's so dangerous about football. It's the small repetitive hits yes. Yes. over the course of a lifetime, which you're getting when you play youth high school, college, NFL. Um, I mean, I get these emails from people, tweets, emails, all that stuff from people saying, I'm not going to watch the game right now because of these player protests. But what anecdotally what I hear from people, my Uber driver on the way to the airport the other day, first thing they asked me about was CTE and concussions and told me that they don't like watching football anymore because that's of the why violence. I've watched one game in five years. And that's it. I think that's a much bigger danger to the long term. We're rooting for gladiators. We're rooting for somebody yeah. to not literally die, but metaphorically. And, you know, I mean, I, I, we talked about, I covered high school football in South Florida where, um, you know, I covered where Anquan Bolden grew up in Pahokee, Florida. Yeah. Some of the poorest areas in the United States. I yeah. mean, there's some tremendous stories to be done there where his hometown is like 40 or 50 miles down the same highway. The one end of the highway is Mar-a-Lago. The other end of the highway is Belgrade and Pahokee that at the time in the mid 2000s had the highest AIDS rate of anywhere in America. Wow. I mean, it's amazing the dichotomy that's yeah. going on there. Um, but yeah, I mean, are we going to be seeing where it's still football is my one way out and I can go to college. This is the way I can go to college Yeah. or become a pro football player, all of these sorts of things, as opposed to, you know, here where we live in suburban Denver and we're... I have a son. That's not happening. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, just anecdotally in my own personal life, in my friends, the lives of my friends and their kids who have kids that are older than my kid is, I think it's going to be a real big issue. I mean, I was talking to um, a recently retired football player named David Bruton. He played for the Broncos. Mm -hmm. He was Notre Dame, a captain of their Super Bowl team a couple years ago. He just retired. Um, He's 30. Yeah. Maybe he just retired. Um, one of the big reasons he retired was because he's afraid of long-term. Yeah. He had he was on IR last year in Washington because of a concussion. He had multiple in his career. Um, and he's starting today his application for a physical therapy school. He said, I want to, I want my brain to be intact and I want to be able to yeah. study and have this long career. Yeah. And he has his plan B in place. Andrew Hawkins, a receiver who just retired from, he was with the Browns recently with the Patriots, just got his MBA from Columbia is yep. now planning to go get his PhD. I think these are, these are rare guys who know what they want to do and have already started putting that plan into action yep. while they're playing. Um, but David Bruton, he's got a 12 year old, I believe, um, who lives in Ohio with his, with his ex and, um, is playing football and against yep. his wishes. I mean, really? I mean, he's, he's supporting, he's being a supportive yeah, dad. Yeah. Yeah. But he's left to his brothers. up to him. Yeah. His kid would not be playing football, but Ooh. the mother and stepfather really want him to play, and they have primary, you know, primary custody there oh. in Ohio, and he's playing. And but you know, this is a guy who made his life, you know, went to yeah, the yeah. game, played ten years, eight years in the NFL, doesn't want his kid playing football. Um, so I think there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that that's going to be the biggest danger to the future of the game, not um, social justice protests or. I would not think else. that would be it. Uh, just a couple more. One thing I wanted to ask you, and I'm going to end up writing a feature about this because it's really a, a pet issue for me. We live in Colorado, maybe the number one state in terms of weed culture, yeah. in terms of acceptance and so forth. Uh, you cover a sport in which weed is like murder. Yeah. 
and players are tortled up to their eyeballs in a, in a very yeah. horrible way. <sighs> is that the kind of thing that because the labor negotiations are tense, because they're trying for guaranteed contracts and they're trying for other things, that might never get resolved, that the authoritarian owners are just going to be like, yep, jam some more tortle on this guy's brains and no more weed, and the players are going to be like, not that weed is an answer if you have a broken leg, but at least it can help a little bit, and the players are not going to make that the hill that they die on because literally they could get concussed and 10,000 other things. Um, I think it drives me be, crazy. It does, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think um, it's something that the, the league or that the players' union, I think, is going to need to push for really hard in the negotiations. You think I they think, might? I think they need to. Yeah. Um, and I think they might. I think they're exploring it a little more. I think we've seen a lot more dialogue over maybe even the last six months. Yeah. Um, it's an area where the league in New York and the ownership and Goodell and his top people are very out of touch with the rest of the country. And of course, but that's, it leans to one side of the political spectrum. Yeah. I mean, this is all, there's common and denominators here. So, I, I mean, I think it's one way that if, because now more and more states are legalizing, yeah. whether it's medical or like it is. But the attorney general of the United States is saying, oh yeah, a gateway drug, you're all going to die, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, so there's still there's, that. There still is that, dis there's that disconnect. And I think as long as that, the owners are still, is kind of backwards on it. Right. Um, because I think there's a lot of science that is going to support the use of medical marijuana, whether it's in, for current players yeah. as a treatment, or whether it's just that, like the, I can never pronounce it right, the can, can of, Cannabidol oil. Why well, cannabis? Yeah, well, right. cannabis oil. But, but the cannabidol, the, yeah. the stuff that has like the non hallucinogenic parts. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Just the oils. Yeah, and the, the, the uh, palliative the, parts or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, they really. They, it's a big mistake that they're not looking into. Well, of course. Right now, huge, huge issue. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's a it's a mis they've made mistakes in criminalizing it so much and punishing and, and players. And domestic violence until very recently wasn't treated seriously, yeah, and, and weed alcohol. was a bigger penalty. Yeah. Alcohol is a big deal. I mean, yeah. 2014, they kind of restructured some of the ways that they punish. Um, they upped the penalties for DUIs and reduced the penalties for um, like marijuana possession yep. or positive marijuana test. But it's still fairly out of whack because if you look at the way that guys abuse alcohol and the relationship between alcohol-related incidents and the domestic violence incidents and bar fights and uh, assaults and a lot of the things that guys are getting in trouble with, alcohol is almost always a factor. Um, yeah. I think there's a lot of players who end up having addictions after they retire, whether it's alcohol, um, opioids. All of these things are related, which you don't see with yeah. marijuana. So um, big issue, big, big issue, especially living here. You and I have a common issue when it comes to our jobs. I'm not a beat writer, but I do travel a lot. I have young kids. They're not as young yeah. as yours. Uh, but you and I have talked about it off the cuff a little bit just as friends. But you have a one-year-old. Yeah. She's lovely. You'd like to see her. You don't get to see her as much as you would like to because of the nature of your job. Uh, how – I'm asking this question because a million, zillion people yeah. who are going to listen to this have something. Maybe they're you traveling salesmen or something. a million, zillion listeners? What's that? A million, million zillion. zillion. That was after Justin Trudeau, like, <laughs> rocking it up to a million, zillion. <laughs> no, it's after local legend Ryan Harris. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um uh, what, how do you cope? How do you handle that kind of thing? Maybe, maybe if nothing else, I will learn something about the way to go about it because it, it just kills me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard. And last year was a weird year because she was born in July. So yeah. I missed about half of the NFL season last year while I was on maternity leave. Um, it's changed a lot of the way I have to work. Um, the way I travel has changed a lot. 
Um, and I know it's different for me because there are very few women who are in this. Yes. There's not very many women in this business to begin with. There are even fewer that are mothers or mothers of young children. Yeah. Um, and so it, it, it's been really, really hard. Um, I'm, you know, I don't want to sugarcoat. I probably make it look better than it is on social media and stuff. Um, right. Um, and make it look, you know, it's easier because it's not, it's, it's really hard. I mean, I just went on an eight day trip was, which is the longest trip that I've Man. taken since she was born. And yeah. it felt like it was about five days too many just in terms of, and you have a wonderful, caring, awesome husband yes. who has a flex schedule I mean, that and all is that by far yeah. the only way that this is that this has worked and will continue to work is that I have tremendous support. Um, I've got a fantastic husband partner who is, um, he's been all in on all, all the fatherhood stuff. You know, he's never, he's not the kind of dad who would ever say like, Oh, I had to babysit this weekend. No, he's all in. I mean, I started, I took my first trip post baby when she was, I believe 14 weeks old and he had to spend, it was just one night. I left it. I think I left it like six o'clock on a Sunday morning and I was on a 6 a.m. flight Monday morning back. But, you know, so he's been kind of, you know, he's had to do full overnights by himself. He's oh, yeah. had to do full weekends, you know, just the two of them. And it's been hard. And we've got great family support here. We've got um, my in-laws live a mile and a half from us. Um, my parents are about an hour away and come down frequently. We'll help, you know, when I was gone last week, my mom came down and spent two nights at our house and did full bedtimes and breakfasts and um, so I wouldn't be able to do that without that. But psychologically, it still is. But it, it is. yeah, it is. It is really difficult. Um, you know, I don't know what people did before FaceTime. Yeah. Traveled, um, and she doesn't even. She's too young right now. She doesn't even get like she's not going to like sit there and have a conversation yeah. with me. Um, but you know, you can point. You know, just face it out at her and say, "Where's Mama?" And she points and says, "Ah, da, da, you know, Mama." And, you know, but that makes me happy. She was kind of taking steps, some of her first steps when I was gone and I saw it on video. Uh, I'm sitting in my hotel room in uh, Jacksonville weeping. or whatever, just cry, like trying to act happy. But, but like, it was, she took a couple before I left, but I got a text to my husband later. I was like, could you tell your parents not to encourage her so <laughs> till I get home? Um, you know, so that's been really hard. I, um, continue, she's still nurses. She just turned one. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the fact that I was able to do that, was I able to breastfeed her for a year, yeah. over a year, yeah. with how much I travel, is probably one of the things I'm most proud of of my life That's awesome. that I've done. I mean, I've, I've pumped milk in stadiums all over the country, yeah. airplanes, media yeah. rooms, on deadline. Um, I'm at the point now where I'll, I'll pump anywhere. I don't care. Yeah, if somebody has a problem with it, that's Employer there. supportive? Yes. Good. Very good. Yes, they've, yeah, and my bosses have been entire, incredibly supportive, especially over the first year. And now what we're going to have to adjust to as we move into kind of the rest of my working life is that, you know, a lot of, I think, the the benefits that I was kind of afforded this yep. first year, less travel, shorter travel, those sorts of things. I think some of that's going to go away, but the challenges of parenthood don't. You Would know. you want to change it up and you become an editor or something? Yeah, I mean, those are all things that I, you know, yeah. I think about a lot where I wonder, like, what would it be like to have a nine to five? And I just don't know being in this business and as long yeah. as I have, like, I can't picture Is myself there anybody going, in this business in you know, five? sitting in, yeah, sitting, you know, sitting in a cubicle somewhere yeah. working nine to five. It just, I've never had that sort of yep. career. Um, but yeah, I mean, I do. I, I don't like traveling like I used to. No. And I used to love, and I still, I mean, there's, there's perks to it and I love seeing new cities and stuff, but, um, I'm not going to be able to do that. She doesn't now, she's too young to know when I'm leaving. Yeah. 
that when she she's knows like I'm going to be gone. Yeah, I mean, that's when she's going to say, no, don't go. Yeah. Don't you know? Yeah, gonna, I know. It's going to get worse. It's <laughs> and you start missing school events. And yeah. I, all my friends that have kids, and we've talked, you know, you're in this group that we've talked to about, it doesn't get easier. If anything, it gets harder. Yeah. You know, you just don't have the, like, you know, being up every three hours in the middle of the right, night. But emotionally. But emotionally, it's going to yeah. be hard on her, on me. Um, on my husband, it's really hard on him. And as great as he is, um, I know it's really, really hard on him for yeah. when I'm gone for. Well, and there's professional sacrifices and there's all kinds yeah. of other things. I mean, I, I constantly, and I think probably every working mother has this same feeling, whether you work in accounting <laughs> or journalism or politics, that you always feel like you're failing at something. I'm not being a good enough mother. Yeah. I'm not being a good enough employee and that what's giving, what, what sacrifices do you make? Which ones are more worth it? Um, I feel incredibly lucky that I've been able to be work from home as much as I do. Yep. And I can, most mornings I'm able to wake up with my daughter and get her up and we can have breakfast together. And I'm kind of balancing work stuff and, you know, in her life, but I'm also able to um, put her, you know, I can put her to bed every night, all these sorts of things, which you know, if she was in daycare from eight to five, I still, I get a lot more time with her, but our jobs are so crazy and the hours are really weird that there are things that you miss. And I have a a friend of mine who works with Associated Press who, um, boy, girl twins, I think they're four. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you've ever met him. If not, I should get you. Yeah. He lives here in Denver. I need to get you in touch. I get you guys in touch. Um, but when I was pregnant, I remember he told me, he goes, our jobs are incredibly flexible until they're not. And I've always remember, kind of kept That's that right. in mind where we have had the benefit of the flexibility of being able to work from home. And and we're self-driven. I know you. You have a work ethic. I might have flexibility, but I'm not not going to yeah. work 80 hours a week during baseball season because I'm a maniac. Yeah, but it's like, but then when, yeah, but then either you're gone. Yeah. You know, you're, at, you know, I'm in Florida for a week or the Super Bowl or whatever the case might be. You know, you can't kind of jump in and out when breaking news is happening or Right. You know, those sorts of things. So hmm. those are definitely the the big challenges. And, you know, I'm, I'm proud of myself for making it this far. Hell yeah. Um, I've, it, hopefully I can help other women who are wanting to stay in the business and do this. Because I'm lucky there, there are women that I've been able to talk to. Judy Batista, formerly New York Times NFL Network now. Phenomenal. Um, you know, she's got a daughter. I ask her a lot of questions. Jane McManus. Most recently, VSPN.com is two kids. I mean, these are women who I've like leaned on to talk about, you know, pumping in stadiums and yeah. um, and their craft is right at the top. I mean, it's you know what as as they've dealt with this, they have advanced yeah. in their careers. They're really good. You know, they're doing much more yeah. than people who don't have that, and they're still ex- excelling. Yeah. So and I just so I, you know, hopefully, I'll be able to kind of share some of the things that I've learned over the last year of dealing yeah. with motherhood and you know, covering the NFL and, um, you know, I've, I've, I've learned a lot of tricks about, you know, <laughs> traveling, pumping, transporting breast milk. I mean, I, I'm not like the expert. I'm all these Facebook mom groups where I'm like, this is what you need to pack. This is what you need to wear. This is how you get through TSA. Even though it's like my nightmare every time I go through TSA, because I never know what's going to happen. And there is an exemption, but they could still give you a hard time. Yeah. I mean, you can, you're allowed to carry as much milk. Food. Yeah. Yeah. There's no limit to it, but there's no consistency from airport to airport right. or even agent to agent no. over what, I mean, I've had my bag completely torn apart, like my pump taken apart, each piece unraveled, you know, pulling out the little, like, like the, 
insert things that go in your bra and I'm like, what is this? And waving it around. And then, you know, I've had the full on uh, body search where they, you know, insane, get you, you know, the grope you all over kind yeah. of search. And then I've had it, my last flight coming home from San Jose, I didn't even pull it out. I had like 70 ounces and just zipped right through. Hmm. So who knows? I mean, but yeah, these are the lessons that you learn. Uh, no, it's, it's, <laughs> being a, it's, it's I a good, good stuff and hopefully valuable stuff. I, I hope for uh, listeners, especially female listeners. Two if more, you are a mom. Yes, go ahead. And listening to this podcast or yes. a mom to be in sports journalism. Yes. Hit me up. I got the, <laughs> I like it. I got the tip. Liz Find me on Twitter. A, a great person too. So absolutely. Two more very quick questions. One is the standard who you got because we're doing some, we're trying to do something forming a season preview. Sure. So who you got? The Patriots. Yeah. Yeah. It's so boring, but I'm starting to feel like, um, it's kind of one of the reasons that I'm not a huge college football fan is because I just feel like it's always Alabama and like maybe somebody's going to slide in there late Clemson last year, but I always just feel like it's Alabama's always going to be there. And, but they have a systemic recruiting advantage to do this in the NFL is bonkers. No, but the NFL has because the restrictions of the cap and all that, but the Patriots have a systemic quarterback. success. Yeah, but he's 40. He's going to retire someday, someday. And it's probably going to happen once he starts the fall off happens. It's going to, going to be fast, but I don't think it's going to be this year. Yeah. Um, but not only do they still have the best quarterback with the best accuracy and probably the best brain in the NFL right now with the best head coach, but they also made a lot of the moves that they needed to not only make themselves better, but to weaken their opponents. Yeah. They also so, play in a clown show of a division. Yes. So yeah, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo could start eight games this year and they're still going to win the, the AFC East. Oh yeah. They'll probably, even if Brady didn't play the whole year, they'd probably be the, at least the two seed, yeah. not the one seed. They're going to, you know, the AFC championship game is going to have to go through Foxborough. Um, you know, the only reason I think that the Broncos won the Super Bowl two years ago was because the Patriots messed around at the end of the season and, lost the number one seed yeah. the AFC championship game was here in Denver. Yeah. If that game had been Foxborough, yeah. it would have been totally different. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I got, I got the Patriots. Um, I think the NFC is wide open. There's it's exciting in the, the NFC right now. Um, I really like roster wise, the Falcons. It's super boring to pick the same two teams. No, but they got better before. is what people are saying. I think they've gotten better. Year. They actually got a couple really key players back from injury. The big question with them is psychologically now that hurdle. Of, yeah. Can you get, Maybe Can Arthur Blank should it? just dance a little bit less if that same <laughs> score happens. Just right. like tone yeah. it down. Also, just run the ball. That's just awesome. The ball. They, they have these monster, two monster just running backs. Run the ball. Run the ball. Um, so I think that's that's an issue. I think Seattle's should be better. They've um, built that kind of perpetual success system too, Pete and all those guys. Yeah. yeah. So I think you know I think Seattle's going to be there, and I want to see if Green Bay can kind of make up the ground. They weren't competitive in the NFC championship game last year, yeah. but um, with Aaron Rodgers, you should always have a chance if they can be healthier around him for sure. uh, with their running game. So, but I'd be shocked if it's anybody but the Patriots at this point in the Super Bowl for the AFC. Mm-hmm. We shall see. So probably not the Jets is what you're saying. Probably not the Jets, but we can get really excited about the Jets and Sam Darnold or Jeff Rosen or... Listen, you got to hit your wagon to Hackenberg. You get a town like that, you go all the way with it. Man... <laughs> that, all right. terrible. <laughs> one last question which i do at the end of every podcast is i always ask the guests for a nugget of wisdom a life tip a something yeah. a mantra i meet you at a at a stadium during pumping time or i meet you at a bar or whatever yeah. it is maybe the question would be different but uh what's what's your thing what's the Lindsay thing yeah so um i was thinking about this a lot because my favorite life tip that i've heard on your podcast yeah. so far is rachel nichols the listening to oh podcast the podcast quickly yeah because i never thought to do that and i was like man i need something really practical 
like that. But yeah. I couldn't come up with anything as brilliant as Rachel Nichols won an I liked her as a guest. She's cool. She's fantastic. Yeah. She's the coolest. And yeah. she's another, she's got twins. She does. Um, and so I've, she, on top just, of her profession. She doesn't and, do NFL stuff anymore, yeah. so I don't run into her as often. But um, she was somebody who was very supportive to me when I was talking about when I was first get got pregnant. Oh, that's and awesome. Talking about like being a, can you do this while being a mother? That's cool that there's a community like yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. So she's she's one of those people that I could definitely like, hey, I have a question about something. I yeah. Could. She's super supportive to everyone in this industry, especially women. But, awesome. Um, I guess my like the thing in this business, traveling, being kind of a traveling journalist, a working mother is get out of the hotel gym. It makes me really sad when I'm like at a random, random hotel and I walk by and it's 75 degrees out. And like, I see just these dudes like plodding a lot at 6.0. Is that you? Is that you, Jonah? Well, but, but, but I usually do anaerobic exercise. I usually, I lift, I don't run and you can't lift on the, you can't lift at Starbucks. But am I, while I, I, while I did say I, I, I'm not as into traveling as I used to be. But you run. You're a very avid runner. When I travel, yes, I'm I'm an avid runner. Um, I run a lot here. I, you know, I'm not fast. I'm never gonna, probably never gonna qualify for the Boston Marathon or anything. But my favorite thing about traveling and to do when I travel is to get out and explore cities on my on foot. Yeah, Um, it requires a little bit of research before you go, looking up routes and trails, and maybe you're taking an Uber there, maybe you're getting your rental car and driving. But I've found some of the coolest. Urban trails, country trails. Nice. Um, getting to see cities and learn about cities in ways that you never would do if you were in your downtown hotel. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've. It's by far my best, my favorite thing to do. So get out, explore. It's the best way to see a city. You're going to feel better in the morning. In the 2014 season, I ran every single day during yeah. the camp. I had a, it was like 265 all days. on All on uh, Instagram and stuff, right? That yeah. people can follow all that Yeah, stuff. I started, it was one of those kind of like seasonal streaks that Runner's World Magazine yeah. does, and I just kept it going. Um, so yeah, I ran. And you were like red eyes and like craziness. Like there were days, and blizzards and all kinds of stuff, Yeah, I mean, I made it almost entirely without doing treadmill. I had to do a couple treadmill days here in Denver when we had like a full week where it was below zero. Yeah. And it was ice. Yeah, that was cool. There was one morning in Kansas City where they got an ice storm, and... I'll run in snow. I'll run in, you know, single well, digits. Well, ice, you could break your ankle. I'm not going to run in no. ice. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I I ran in the Amsterdam airport. I mean, that was like, a terrible idea. Amsterdam airport is, like, the weirdest. Like It was the weirdest. I, was I always say that Yankee Stadium is the same as Amsterdam airport. They look exactly the same. Really? They're sterile and, and just yeah. endless. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I ran there. But that, that's my – that's kind of my thing, my – and if and if you can run every day during the NFL season while covering it and traveling, there's no excuse to that you can't do it. Yeah, I don't mean if you're not a runner, walk it or walk whatever. It, get, yeah, yeah. I mean, get one of those city bikes. Just do yeah, yeah, yeah. some way to it break. It breaks up the mundane nature of traveling. Um, it's a good way to explore. It's a good way to kind of think through things. I think about stories when I write. I think yeah. about interviews um, or when I run. Excuse me. So that's my um, that's my thing. What and I will plus one you by saying I, I played basketball my whole life. I basically have no cartilage in my knee, so I used to run. I don't anymore, but I've started walking every day. And so I'll be writing for, you know, I know I have a twelve hour writing day. I'm like after six hours, I'm I'm leaving, and I, I just walk around this neighborhood or whatever. Yeah. But like, yeah, the world is lovely, and you know, we're not going to be around that much longer. And there's trees and people. Well, in almost and every city that you visit in America, you know, I, you know, I do NFL travel, so yeah. I don't go to these small college towns usually. But you know, I'm in Indianapolis and I'm in Cleveland. Yeah. And, um, Atlanta and stuff. And there are such cool places in all of these cities 
that you just got to look a little bit and you get to see all these different neighborhoods. You get to see murals and you find cool coffee shops and um, stuff that you would just never know. You just get such a better feel for these places in America and the people who live in this country when you kind of can get out and see things and explore. And when you're on foot, you just see things differently than you would if you're in the backseat of your Uber on your phone or in your rental car. Yeah. Pods in America, whatever. This is a this is a top five most inspiring life tip. So well done. I feel good about it. You better go rent. My knees will collapse. <laughs> uh, Lindsay Jones, thank you so so much. Uh, we will reach work at USA Today, and uh, I appreciate you sitting in my living room. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Jones.